welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. And, um, you know, I think we owe an important thank you, to say the least, to the uh, indigenous nations who are standing up against the RCMP, against the Canadian government, because it's raised the whole issue of who decides in Canada. What kind of policy should Canada have domestically? What kind of policy should Canada have on the international scale? That's the voice of author and activist Arnold August. On this week's show, we speak to Arnold about the hypocrisy of the Canadian government talking about human rights violations in Latin America with the Lima Group while they continue to violate Indigenous rights in this country. You are listening to Latin Ways and your host, Sylvia Richardson. I am delighted to bring to you the author of Cuba and Its Neighbors, Democracy in Motion, a book published by Arnold Agus. Arnold Agus is a phenomenal journalist, lecturer. He's an author of three books on Cuba and someone who is very closely following the events of not only the coup in Bolivia, but also the politics in Latin America. We're delighted to have you on our show, Arnold. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure for me to be with you once again, Sylvia. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Racketeering, in legal terms, refers to crimes committed through extortion or coercion. Parties coordinate and participate in racketeering with the aim to obtain benefits, money, property from other parties, usually through intimidation or force. Usually this term is used uh, you know, and associated with organized crime. The recent events in Bolivia with the coup in um, you know, the ousted president Evo Morales on November 10th, the coup in Venezuela and the coercion that has been exercised by governments from Canada, the U.S., and all those who have blockade, similar to the blockades that Cuba had to endure, perhaps would follow under this definition. Paint a picture. How do you see the unfolding of not only the political instability in Latin America, with the actions of the Canadian government in the region? Well, uh, I'm glad that you raised the issue of racketeering. I think that uh, very well describes uh, the instruments that the United States, Canada, and other countries use in countries such as Bolivia and Venezuela in order to push their own specific interests. If we deal with uh, Bolivia uh, for the moment, uh, it is very interesting to note that the Canadian government and the United States and others were instrumental in overthrowing the uh, Evo Morales under the fraud that there were elections irregularities. And of course, it since has been proven that there were no elections irregularities. Evo was elected democratically. However, he was thrown forced to leave Bolivia and go into exile. Now, those people who've taken control of Bolivia as a result of this coup d'etat fit in exactly the way you describe racketeering. Instead of the goal 
and plan of the Evo Morales government of nationalizing lithium, which is a very important resource in Bolivia that is needed for the production of batteries for very popular electrical cars, the people involved in the coup immediately took over the lithium resources of uh, uh, Bolivia, not for the good the well-being of the Bolivian people, but, but for the racketeers, the wealthy oligarchy in, Bel in, in Bolivia, who will be using those precious natural resources in order to enrich themselves. Now, if we take the next example, it's even more flagrant because it's, it's much more famous. Uh, this guy, Guaido, who is a self-proclaimed interim president of Venezuela, self-proclaimed with the getting the rubber stamp from Trudeau, from Trump, and believe it or not, uh, uh, people such as uh, Duque from Colombia, Piñera de Chile. He is involved, completely involved in racketeering. It's been proven once again how he got benefits from when, when, the, when the United States uh, uh, forcibly took over some uh, Venezuelan oil interests and gave the profits to him. And I guess one could say when we speak of racketeering, I think what comes to my mind and perhaps to your mind, Sylvia, and many of our listeners, one of the most famous racketeering outfits in Latin America happens to be the narco-trafficking uh, military, paramilitary forces in Colombia. They are involved in major racketeering on the basis of drug peddling and they are also are armed to the teeth in order to put down any social uprising against the Colombian government. Now Guaido actually met with these individuals, these paramilitary narco-traffic people steeped in this type of uh, trafficking of drug and even arms. He posed with them, there are photographs of them together. These are the type of individuals, racketeering types, who the United States, Canada, and others are trying to put into power to, to uh, replace the general, the elected president, in the case of Bolivia, Evo Morales, and in the case of Venezuela, uh, Nicolas Maduro. So racketeering is a very good way to describe the uh, proxies of the instruments in the hands of the United States and other foreign powers in Latin America. Now, the key to um, any kind of, of sustaining uh, violence that is so overt and yet uh, so normalized is that we tend to have a story about what this violence is being committed in the name of. So in past years, we've called it, you know, in terms of colonization, we said that the rabid attempts by colonizers to eradicate indigenous populations, to steal the gold, to steal their lands, was in the name of civilizing the indigenous people. You know, yes. in, in modern terms, we talk about development. We say that, you know, all this racketeering, all this, um, you know, mining, exploitation of the land, exploitation of the people is being done in the name of development, in the name of civilizing, you know, uh, third world countries, right? So let's talk a little bit about the instruments because they, they're not, uh, the people 
are not stupid. They're not, you know, they they don't just buy these things. But there's a, a lot of instruments that are used to bring people into accepting this as the new normal, right? So let's talk about the diplomatic instrument. You know, how has governments not only created instruments of uh, repression, but their diplomacy is itself a, an instrument of oppression. So let's talk about the Lima group, for example, how this group came about and the purpose behind this group. Yes, the Lima group first came about in, in August uh, 2017, uh, composed of countries such as uh, Argentina, Brazil, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, Panama, Paraguay, and Peru. Uh, United States was not a member, and when people ask me, why is United States not a member, I have to, I have to say that tr Trump may look stupid, but he's not that stupid, because he has Trudeau acting in his behalf, on his behalf, in the Lima Group, as his proxy representative there, in order to give a, a cooler look to the, the Lima, Lima Group's program of overthrowing the uh, government in Venezuela. Now, since then, of course, Mexico is no longer a member of the group because, uh, as you know, it's changed its political orientation. But two other countries have become members of that Lima Group. One is Bolivia as a result of the coup d'etat, and the other is Haiti that has been pressured by the United States and France and Canada that controls Haiti. So the Lima Group it came about because the vast majority of people, the United Nations, all international organizations such as the, uh, those that represent Asia, Africa, and Latin America, they all fully support and recognize the Maduro government. This Lima Group is a creation of the United States and its allies such as Canada to act as a sort of diplomatic effort out the realm of the legal norms such as the United States in order to pressure, uh, put pressure and get uh, people involved, countries involved to overthrow the Maduro government. This is what the Lima Group is all about. It has nothing to do, it is completely uh, illegal and nothing to do at all with the uh, international norms. So, of course, diplomacy is used one way by the United States and its allies. And I think if we take uh, on the question of the use of natural resources, which you mentioned, we have a, an example very close to home. What is going on now on West Wet End? Very important issue. Now, it's interesting that while the Lima Group was meeting in, in Gatineau yesterday, the same government, Canadian government, that is giving lessons to Venezuela about democracy and human rights still allows the RCMP to occupy First Nation land in British Columbia, which is completely against the uh, norms within Canada. And also one should mention that while Canada gives lessons to Venezuela on democracy and human rights, Canada has also been singled out by the United Nations for its violation of human rights and especially its violation of the rights of the First Nations in Canada. Of course, we never hear about that. There are, there are two, uh, you know, two ways of looking at it. When it serves their interests, the United States uses diplomacy against 
Venezuela, against the former uh, president of Bolivia, Evo Morales. But where is their diplomacy within Canada? Why doesn't Trudeau use his diplomacy within Canada? Also, the issue raises, you talked about resources, natural resources. The issue is more than just land itself. It's the whole question of natural resources. Why should the people in that area, and of course it has... ground root support from all over the country. The major unions have made statements in support of the Wet'suwet'en. And the issue there is that if the people there do not want that pipeline to go through their land, then it should not go through their land. I read some studies, Sylvia, showing several years ago, there was an alternative given. There was an alternative to bypass the Wet'suwet'en land and not uh, uh, involve the the people there in the exploitation of this natural resources. But this alternative route was rejected by the oligarchs who are pushing for this pipeline right through their land. So the issue there is the right of the people to defend their land and and the resources, yes, they have to be exploited, but not to the extent of infringing on the right and the health, the dignity and the sovereignty of the Wet'suwet'en and other uh, native nations. I think that is an important thing that we have to uh, learn about what is happening now. And it it runs in contradiction to the Lima group who made all kinds of statements about democracy and human rights. At the same time, you have Canada is divided there's a serious conflict in Canada on the question of human rights of the people within this very country. And so one has to take a uh, uh, look at the, this Lima group type of diplomacy with a grain of salt. It is very self-serving, and it only serves the interests of the wealthy from Canada, United States. Uh, why is Canada in conflict against Venezuela? There are several reasons, but if you recall, soon after Hugo Chavez came to power, he began the national, nationalization of gold interests in Venezuela. Venezuela is known for its oil reserves, but it also has important gold reserves. And the important Canadian mining companies that were interested in the gold reserves did not like the nationalization program. Neither did the Bank of Nova Scotia, whose goal is to help to finance the exploitation of these gold reserves. They started their campaign against the Chavez government even before the Lima Group was established in August 2017. So, the issue of, as you say, natural resources is really important in explaining what is happening in Canada, what is happening in Venezuela, what is happening in Bolivia. And I'm really, as a Canadian, really proud to see so many people from all walks of life, trade unions, younger people, older people, standing with the Wet'suwet'en nation. And yesterday in, in Gatineau, when we were there picketing the Lima Group in that city, we had signs also supporting Wet'suwet'en. All these struggles, I think, Sylvia, are linked together against the attempt by the United States, Canada, and other similar countries to control the resources within our country as well as in other countries of the world.
So let's talk a little bit about this um, this failed coup because in 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 essence the coup against Venezuela has failed, and you wrote about this about a year ago. Can we talk a little bit about what has led to the victory of the Venezuelan people and being able to overcome the constant repression of blockades of you know having economic extortion and having their wealth stolen uh, you know in in terms terms of banks keeping their 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 money uh, also in terms of blockades preventing food from coming into the country what led to their to their victory despite all this aggression yeah that's a very good point and uh, it's you know we were talking about this on the first almost uh, around the first anniversary of my one of my visits to Venezuela on February 4th 2019 in Caracas, where I had the opportunity, uh, along with a very small delegation of uh, foreigners in that city, to meet directly with Nicolas Maduro, and was really an eye-opener for me. Among other things, he explained that we're talking about uh, uh, February 2019, only uh, several weeks after the so-called international community recognized Juan Guaido as the interim president. So here he was, Maduro, speaking very calmly in the midst of all of it all attempts to have a, a coup d'etat against him, explaining to us on that very memorable day last previous February 4th, 2019, how he is visiting all the different sections of the armed forces in Venezuela, the air, the army, the navy, and how they are working to develop the uh, militia in Venezuela. That is very important. And since that time, in February 2019 to now, the militia has grown to 3.8 million people. You have what we call the Civic Military Alliance, where you have the formal army, as well as the militia formed by volunteers amongst millions of Venezuelan people in order to develop and defend Venezuela's sovereignty. This is why uh, Trudeau, Trump, Guaido, Duque, and the others, they all completely misread the situation. They had no idea. They did never want to accept the fact that the Venezuelan people have the capacity to defend their own interests, their own democracy. And this is what uh, uh, they are doing. They've been doing this over the last year. How many appeals have we heard, Sylvia, from Trudeau, from uh, Trump, that the uh, the uh, Venezuelan military should ab abandon uh, Maduro and side with the United States. It happened almost every week, but never they did not budge one sec uh, one centimeter. They stuck stuck with their uh, firm position in favor of Venezuelan sovereignty. Even they, I think, have to recognize that Guaido is a failure. Like yesterday in the meeting in Gatineau, I was just reading the formal declaration that came out of that meeting there to write an article. And lo and behold, for the first time in over a year when Guaido was recognized by these uh, countries to be the interim president, his name was not even there. 
that sh goes to show you that, as you said, this whole attempt to impose Guaido on Venezuela has been a complete failure. They, of course, will not admit it openly, but in my view, the fact that his name is not mentioned in yesterday's statement is an indication that the United States, Canada, Colombia, and other countries, they are in a very bad position. Their person that they thought would come to power didn't even come close, honey. In fact, he's been completely discredited. After his international tour to Europe, Canada, United States, he arrived in the airport in Caracas and was greeted by thousands of people calling him a traitor, an assassin, because he travels all over the world openly requesting from countries to intervene militarily in Venezuela in order to overthrow the government. So he was literally booed out, booed out of the airport. He is really a force that cannot be used by the United States. Perhaps they're looking for someone else. But the fact that he was not mentioned in yesterday's formal statement, it's a very good sign for us, for uh, all of us across Canada who, has, who oppose the Lima Group attempt to force Guaido onto the Venezuelan people. And are they looking for someone else? I don't know, but that's their problem. No. As far as the Venezuelan people are concerned, uh, it must be very encouraging that uh, in Gatineau, they did not mention his name. And it, it, it confirms uh, the amazing sacrifices and struggle that the Venezuelan people have been carrying out nonstop since January 2019 to date in order to defend themselves against all of those illegal and crippling sanctions carried out by the United States and Canada. In many ways, I think what we need to point out is that we as a population need to reevaluate the way policy is being made. In the case of Chile, the reason our government is so silent is because a lot of the mining industry in Chile is owned by Canadian mining companies. You know, exactly. The, sa the same ones who own the companies in Venezuela. Exactly. So the struggle in, in Chile is against mining companies and the struggle in uh, with Southern territories is against exploitation of the land as well. So we, yes. we're seeing a, a, a correlation here and I think that whether it's a Trudeau government or whether it had been a Sears government, you know, if we had elected a conservative government, I think we would see uh, very similar outcomes. And, yes. and so it's for us as a population to start asking more questions about what is our foreign policy and whose name is foreign policy being drafted and who benefits from this, right? So um, I think for that, it means we all as citizens need to take our act of citizenship as a privilege that we need to yeah. act upon, not just you know as, as, assume that it will be there for us. Uh, on that note, I would like to say that, uh, as you know, you mentioned I'm in an international speaking tour at, at this time, and the next stop is in Ottawa this coming Thursday, February 27th at 7 p.m. Uh, in Ottawa, 180 uh, Percy Street, the McNabb Recreation Center. Now, in addition to me, there will also be uh, Eve Angler who will be speaking and Don Foreman. And one of the things that we're going to raise there, we want to have discussion there, in Ottawa on February 27th is once we take apart the Canada's foreign, Trudeau's foreign policy with regards to Venezuela, Bolivia, etc. Uh, what is the type of foreign policy that Canadians want Canada to have? And how do we go about doing it? Are we, should we try to force 
the uh, Canadian government to take uh, an independent stand with regards to the United States to withdraw, as we are demanding, withdraw from the Lima Group, that Canada should uh, not uh, be involved in these uh, regime change practices, or should we just abandon Trudeau? There's nothing that can be done and perhaps try to push the new Democratic Party uh, to take a stand against the uh, Canada's current foreign policy to seriously consider that Canada should have a foreign policy that is independent from the United States and is based on the wishes and desires of the Canadian people. I think these are the things that people are discussing, and I think we have to help to uh, foster this type of discussion. You know, we have to take things into our own hands. You know, what kind of foreign policy do we want Canada to have? And we hope that Next Thursday in Ottawa, this will be discussed by all the people present, and we could, you know, share this experience with people throughout the country. Now, we've come to the end of our interview, and I, I wonder if you could uh, maybe lead our audience to some of your uh, resources or uh, places where people can not only become acquainted with the history of Canada, our role in uh many uh, government uh, removals throughout Latin America, but yeah. also our contribution, right? Where are we strong? How do we mobilize and co-create? Yes, I think that this is an important reflection that you're making. And uh, while you were speaking, I cannot help to think back right here in Canada. Uh, in terms of the current uh, crisis in Canada, uh, many people, commentators, uh, either on the left, right, or the center, they saying, "Is this a defining moment? Is this a watershed watershed mo mo uh, moment for Canadian history for the people of Canada?" I think it might very well be because it's more than just it's a question of resources, it's a question of land, but it's a question of in Canada who decides? Is it the courts, the RCMP, the Parliament? or the people of Canada, including the First Nations, the unions, the working class, who decides in Canada? This is really the essence of that whole issue. And um, you know, I think we owe a, a, an important thank you, to say the least, to the uh, Indigenous nations who are standing up against the RCMP, against the Canadian government, because it's raised the whole issue of who decides in Canada. What kind of policy should Canada have domestically? What kind of policy should Canada have on the international scale? With regards to domestic policy, one of the things that I'll be discussing next Thursday is the notion, the notion that I have and other people that I know that Canada uh, learned its first step in foreign policy of imperialism through the colonization of the native peoples within Canada. So we're talking about the need to change the entire system. Like, you know, there's an amazing discussion in Canada now because of the heroic stand of the uh, people in, in British Columbia and youth and others and unions coming together to support them all over the country. It brings into, into the discussion the question of who decides in Canada and the force of the people, the force of the people ourselves to try to stop the uh, policies of the Trudeau government with regards to resource extraction and to have the country have a, a serious dialogue and, discuss and discussion on the question of what 
can be done in Canada? What is Canada all about? Should Canada be just a reserve for resources for the wealthy few, or should Canada be developed for the well-being of the vast majority of the people and all the peoples within Canada that compose this country? We have come to the end. Thank you so much for being with us today. Give us the address where you will be presenting next Thursday. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So it's next Thursday, February 27th, 7 p.m. in Ottawa, the McNabb Recreation Hall. It's at 280 Percy Street in Ottawa. Everyone is welcome. It's free. And, you know, we have myself, Eve Engler, Don Foreman of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers will be speaking there, and we really want to have a serious discussion on the issue of Canadian foreign policy. Thank you so much for being with us. My guest is Arnold August. It's a pleasure. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Ways Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.